Hello, and welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Bringing you the story and answering your questions. No fake news, no alternative facts. Just history, all the time. Welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Uh, Mr. Chrisman at the helm today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Federalist era, a time period that a lot of Americans don't recognize by name, but covers from 1789 until 1800, essentially our first two presidents, George Washington and John Adams. So I want to start off by saying, you know, when George Washington is elected as president, uh, unanimously, by the way, in 1789, um, and it wasn't a surprise that he won, uh, most Americans today assume that, you know, the American Revolution was a very, very tough time, and the American Revolution was very difficult, but under George Washington's leadership, we won, and then everything was awesome and wonderful, kind of like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome, but not really. Um, so Washington wins, uh, John Adams becomes his vice president because as the constitution was originally written, uh, whoever got the most number of electoral votes in the electoral college become, became president, uh, whoever got the second most number of, uh, electoral votes in the electoral college became vice president. Um, and so when John Adams wins the second most number of electoral votes, he becomes vice president. Uh, to say that everything is not good or easy for Washington is, uh, is putting it mildly. There are some major issues that Washington's going to face uh, as president. And, and the very first issue he's going to face, and, and there's no way around it, is he's the first. He's the first president. Uh, he has no other example to, to go by. And he also has tremendous weight on his shoulders because he realizes that every future president will look to him uh, as, as an example as to what to do uh, during crisis and, and, and during times of uh, where great leadership is needed. Another problem that uh, Washington faces is that the country is $27 million in debt. Uh, some of that is owed to Great Britain from when uh, the colonies uh, were part of Great Britain. Uh, but a, a substantial amount is owed to our biggest ally during the American Revolution, and that would be France. Another issue that Washington's facing is there's a huge conflict in his cabinet. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton uh, are not playing well together. Uh, any of you who have seen the musical Hamilton will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but I'm going to go through it for those folks who don't know the conflict between Hamilton and Jefferson very well. Uh, I'll start with Hamilton uh, first. Uh, Hamilton's kind of an interesting guy. He, uh, he serves in the Continental Army during the American Revolution. Uh, Hamilton believes that a strong national government is incredibly important, uh, that the federal government should be strongest. He was a, he was a federalist. He helped write some of the federalist papers. Uh, he believes that our nation's uh, future lies in um, merchants and with cities and with trade with Great Britain. He felt that um, we were successful as colonies and colonists under uh, British rule, and therefore we should continue to trade with Britain. Uh, he also felt that uh, the Constitution was there as a framework to guide the government, 
uh, but it didn't have to be read literally, meaning that there was an awful lot of wiggle room, according to Alexander Hamilton, in uh, the ability to govern. And, and one of the easy examples of this is Hamilton wanted to create a national bank. Um, if you read the Constitution, there's nothing in there specifically about the ability of the government to create a bank. Hamilton's uh, reaction to that would be, well, it doesn't say that you can't create a national bank. So therefore, uh, that would be what we call a loose interpretation of the Constitution. Jefferson uh, is going to basically be the complete opposite of Alexander Hamilton in every way that you can think of. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is very concerned about a strong national government, so he wants state governments to be strongest. Uh, Jefferson does not want to be a country of large cities and manufacturing. He wants our country to be full of lots of small towns, and he believed that farmers were the backbone of the country. And instead of trading with Britain like Hamilton wanted to, Jefferson said, look, the way that we got our independence was through France, was through French help. We should trade with France. Um, and Jefferson also believed in a very strict interpretation of the Constitution, meaning that you can only do specifically what is written in the Constitution. And if the issue that comes up is not in the Constitution, uh, it, the, the national government cannot uh, take that action. Therefore, when Hamilton proposes this idea of a national bank, Jefferson says, well, look, it's not in the Constitution. So therefore, uh, you can't do anything with it. Okay, the National Bank, according to Jefferson, then would be unconstitutional. Um, at the same time, we have this going on. We have some other issues going on during Washington's presidency. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, if you read the Constitution, there's not much about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has to be set up, uh, which the Congress uh, passes the Judiciary Act of 1789 that sets up the structure of the federal court system, uh, which includes district courts, circuit courts, and the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll talk more about that Judiciary Act of 1789 in our next podcast uh, because there'll be some issues of that later on. Perhaps the biggest issue that Washington will face as the, as the first president, one of the, the, the big crises that will happen, uh, is an event that becomes known as the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, Washington had agreed to place a protective tariff on foreign goods uh, to protect American businesses. Uh, his Secretary of uh, Finance, Alexander Hamilton, saw this as an opportunity to, you know, maybe make some money. So he decided to place an excise tax on whiskey. Okay, um, Whiskey was a product that was made by farmers. Uh, it, they were able to take corn and put it into liquid form, that, which allowed them to move it easier, sell it for more money. Uh, and this action, this whiskey tax, really infuriated um, the whiskey manufacturers in uh, western Pennsylvania. So as a result of that, these farmers in western Pennsylvania become rebels. They claim that the government is being like a tyrant, that they're being taxed, and that they won't, that the government won't listen to them, so they have the right to alter or abolish the government. Now I'm hoping that, that sounds familiar from another podcast that we talked about. Um, they're using the language from the Declaration of Independence to basically say that they have the right to, to uh, get rid of a government that they consider to be tyrannical. Now, this sounds very similar to Shays' Rebellion, where farmers are upset, so they're going to try and alter or abolish the government. However, the Whiskey Rebellion is going to have a very different result, and that comes directly from this new constitution uh, and this, this position of president that that new constitution helped to create. 
Washington takes very uh, swift, stern, and decisive action uh, to put down the rebellion. Uh, Washington puts together uh, an army of 12,000 men, which is actually bigger than the Continental Army ever was during the American Revolution. And Washington becomes, I believe, the only president to personally lead an army to the battlefield. However, by the time Washington and the, and the military get to western Pennsylvania, uh, the insurrection is over. The farmers uh, are basically saying, okay, you know, we give. They cry uncle. Um, although there's not any uh, killing in this rebellion, uh, it does demonstrate the power of this federal government. Uh, it is more powerful than it, than it had been during Shays' Rebellion. That This idea of a president, although potentially tyrannical, uh, was needed. Um, and that the federal government could use force, but would not abuse it. Another issue uh, that's going on out west besides this uh, Whiskey Rebellion is that there's conflict with Native Americans. Once the American Revolution was over, American settlers began pouring into the Ohio River Valley, which had been prevented under British rule. Uh, and this, is, of course, is going to lead to conflict with Native Americans uh, who were being encouraged to attack American settlers by the British government. So. Washington will send in General Anthony Wayne. Now, Anthony Wayne's an interesting guy. He gains the nickname Mad Anthony Wayne, uh, not because he's angry, but because he's a little unhinged, at least it seems like. Uh, he is one of those uh, generals who will take no prisoners and will win battles at all costs. Um, the Native Americans had created a loose alliance of tribes that historically had not played well together. But they found themselves with a common enemy in American settlers. Uh, it included the Shawnee, the Delaware, the Miami, the Ottawa, among other tribes. Uh, General Mad Anthony Wayne will defeat the Native Americans at the Battle of Fallen Timbers on August 20th of 1794. And the Native Americans will sign the Treaty of Greenville, which basically the Native Americans agreed to abandon the Ohio River Valley and opened it up for further settlement. Uh, this is going to be the first in a series of long and many examples of the United States government um, either making Native Americans give up their land or forcing Native Americans through other ways to give up their land uh, to American settlers. And we'll talk more about that in the next couple of podcasts here. Uh, we do have some foreign issues going on. Uh, during Washington's presidency, the same year that he is uh, elected, 1789, uh, the, the French get rid of their king. Uh, many of the French viewed it like the American Revolution. Uh, this French Revolution, they, their goal was to establish a republic uh, that was more responsive to what the people wanted. Uh, as a result of this French Revolution, France itself is attacked by a coalition of countries that all had kings. Uh, Great Britain, Spain, Prussia, Russia, and Austria. Uh, the goal was by these, these foreign countries was to, to come into France and put their, the French king back into power or a French king back into power. The kings in those countries were concerned because of a, if a revolution could happen in France, it could happen in their countries as well. Uh, so the question becomes, what does the U.S. do about this? Because the U.S. had promised to help France in the future. We had signed in, in a treaty of, an alliance treaty with them. Um, George Washington did not see the U.S. getting involved in this war. Uh, many northern industries were trading with Great Britain. Southern plantations were trading with France. Um, 
our our success as a country relied on that trade with the two sides that are fighting. And let's be honest, the American military at the time uh, is not something that the rest of the world fears. Uh, and there was concern that we would get drawn into a war that really didn't involve us or have good outcomes for us either. Um, so Washington's going to serve two terms, eight years, uh, and then he will not run for office again. Uh, and that's an example of a precedent or a tradition, an example, if you will, uh, that he will set for other presidents. Um, every other president who had the opportunity to run for, for, more than, uh, for more than two terms followed Washington's example, except for one, Franklin uh, Delano Roosevelt. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt will actually be elected to four consecutive terms. He will die in the middle of his fourth term. But in 1951, they will actually add an amendment to the Constitution, the 22nd Amendment, to make sure that presidents cannot serve more than two elected terms. But up until then, uh, everyone except for FDR had only run for two terms because they were following Washington's example. Uh, Washington also uh, set a precedent by creating a cabinet, a group of advisors for him to uh, lean on. Now, his cabinet originally was not very big. Uh, it only had five members included people like the Secretary of State, Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Attorney General. Um, but every president since then has created a cabinet, including our current president, and the cabinet has grown uh, quite a bit. I believe there's now 27 different departments along with a number of other members uh, that are considered part of the cabinet. Uh, a third example or a third precedent uh, that Washington uh, created was that at the end of at the end of his term of office uh, he gave a farewell address Washington we consider to be one of these great presidents he gives us a series of pieces of advice uh, which I always find interesting because although we think of Washington as being this great president we really don't listen to his advice uh, in his farewell address he warned us basically about three things number one he said don't get involved in European affairs Europe, the continent of Europe has been at war for many, many years. Countries don't like each other there, don't get involved. We've been involved. Uh, Washington second said, don't get involved in alliances that you'll get drawn into wars that you don't wanna fight. The United States is currently in over 20 alliances at this time. Uh, and last but not least, he said, don't create political parties. They will do nothing but divide the nation. Um, which I find ironic in the current uh, political climate. Uh, our two political parties certainly are uh, dividing the nation right now, and it doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican, but uh, that, that's the way things are. So Washington will not run for uh, you know, a third term. So in the, in the 1796 election, uh, we end up with John Adams uh, winning the electoral vote with 71 electoral votes, and Thomas Jefferson uh, will come in second place with 68 electoral votes. Now that's a bit of a problem because political parties have been formed by this point and John Adams, the president, is a Federalist and his vice president, Thomas Jefferson, is a Democratic Republican. Uh, so they are, they are members of two different political parties and they're supposed to be working together. That is obviously going to lead to some conflict. Um, the, the war in Europe is raging uh, and the Americans are facing some big problems. The fact that the French government was kidnapping American sailors and they're attacking American ships. So John Adams sent representatives to meet with the French government 
the French foreign minister demanded a bribe just to talk with the Americans. Um, he also wanted money for his government because they needed money to fight the war. Uh, John Adams was furious. Uh, the famous quote that he allegedly claimed was millions for defense, but not one penny for tribute. Uh, tribute is a form of a bribe. Uh, so the U.S. will enter what we call a quasi-war with France. There's no real declaration to this war, but the U.S. and the French Navy are keeping an eye on each other, and there are some attacks on each other. As a result of this concern about French uh, involvement in the United States, uh, John Adams and Congress, uh, being led by the Federalists, uh, will pass the Alien Sedition Acts uh, because of concerns about French spies in the country. Uh, so these two laws are really controversial. So let me go through them one at a time and explain why they're a problem. Uh, the Alien Act. Uh, an alien, by definition, is a foreigner. The Alien Act was targeting foreigners. It made the time period uh, to become a citizen longer. It changed it from five years to 14 years from when, when someone could come into the country and, and become a naturalized citizen. It also said that the president could expel any foreigner the president deemed dangerous. And that's that's kind of a vague statement. Uh, we you know It doesn't really say what dangerous means, meaning that if John Adams doesn't like what the person is saying, uh, that he could kick them out, which means essentially if he if they were criticizing John Adams, he could expel that alien or that foreigner um, because he doesn't like what they have to say. Now, as much as the Alien Act is targeting foreigners, the Sedition Act is targeting American citizens. Uh, sedition, by definition, by the way, is to actively um, to actively try to promote the idea of overthrowing the government. Uh, the Sedition Act made it a crime to publish quote, false, scandalous, and malicious writing about any government or its officials of the United States, meaning that you were not allowed to print anything that was criticizing the president, you weren't allowed to say things that were criticizing the president, or you could be thrown in jail. Now, Federalists believe that these laws strengthened American uh, national security. The Democratic Republicans, led by Thomas Jefferson as vice president, saw this as an attack on the Bill of Rights. Basically, it's a violation of freedom of speech and freedom of press. This leads uh, states like Virginia and Kentucky to pass uh, some resolutions, basically laws, that uh, said that the states can decide if a, if a law is constitutional or not and enforce it or not. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, as the vice president, was one of the biggest uh, proponents of this idea. Uh, and he helped to author the Virginia Resolution along with James Madison, which basically is trying to make the argument that the state government should be more important than the federal government. And therefore, Virginia and Kentucky, if they didn't like the Alien and Sedition Acts, could choose not to enforce them. So this is going to create some problems and create some questions about which level of government is strongest, which one trumps the other. Does state government trump the federal government or does the federal government trump the, the state governments? Those questions aren't going to be answered at this point. You'll have to find out the answer to that in the next podcast about the Jefferson era. But it brings up those questions. And it's going to set up the election of 1800, where John Adams, as the Federalist and the President, will be going against his Democratic Republican Vice President and good friend, Thomas Jefferson. And what's going to happen is Thomas Jefferson is going to bring up every chance he can get during the, the course of the campaign 
these alien and sedition acts and how they are a potential uh, attack on the Bill of Rights and how this could lead to tyranny, very similar to King George III under the English government. As a result of that, the election of 1800 will change things, uh, John Adams will lose, and Thomas Jefferson will become the first Democratic Republican uh, president of the United States, and he will try to undo some of the things that those, the Federalist uh, Party was doing, such as the Alien and Sedition Acts. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of uh, the Federalist Era. I hope you uh, check out the next podcast on uh, the Jefferson Era. Uh, as always, if you have any questions or idea for topics, please uh, please uh, contact us at hollyhistory65 at gmail.com or send us a tweet at hollyhistory. Uh, don't forget we have a ton of episodes, uh, including other history shorts at Holly History on SoundCloud or our Holly History channel on YouTube. Thank you for listening and have a good day.